0: Hi, Laura.
1: Hi, David.
0: I'm so excited to be here. How about you?
1: I am so excited. We've arrived. It's day one.
0: We're here. We're in our our new home-built podcast studio in our office.
1: It was a closet.
0: It was. a Well, it still kind of is a closet.
1: And we got furniture and some artificial plants, and we look
0: legit. Yeah, and we worked with our awesome producer, and we've got some awesome microphones and headphones, and yeah, we're here to, we're in it. All right. So we're diving in. We're diving in. I. This is, so who who are we talking to today? Dr. Lauren Draper,
1: who is a pediatric oncologist at Colonel Clinton. And we're going to have one of her patients, one of her teenage patients, um, Sophie.
0: She's a rock star she is a rock star.
1: She's super cool. And then, um, her mom, Jessica,
0: she's also a rock star, also a
1: rock star. So, um, we are blessed to have them come on three awesome, amazing humans. And they're going to come on and share their evolution, I guess, through pediatric cancer together. And, uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say, because they'll say more.
0: But we're, we're going to learn about a couple of different things, right? Like there's going to be like talk about straw hats. And then we're also going to hear about a tumor funeral. It, it was
1: one of the neatest things that I've ever witnessed. And yeah, they're going to tell us about it. All right. Welcome to the Glennon Factor. You know what? Starting a podcast is challenging. It, it sure is. It's unpredictable. It's scary.
0: It's the coolest thing that we've been able to to do recently, I feel like. I mean, this is kind of a new venture for us that gets to encircle all of the things that we've talked about and all the things that we've wanted to do.
1: For sure. You know what else is unpredictable and scary, though, that we see a lot of at Cardinal Clinton? Pediatric cancer. That's true. And cancer isn't a fun subject. Lots of people would rather choose to avoid talking about it. Um, Any family going through it, any practitioner treating it, should, in my opinion, get an honorary master's degree from adversity, university. Truth. But adversity can and does bring growth and treasure and new people into our worlds that change us in super awesome ways, right?
0: I think it brings people together. It does. People have a shared experience. If it's a positive or if it's a not so positive experience, then they can can grow stronger together through that shared experience.
1: For real. So today, guess what we're doing? We're going to bring three very inspirational humans together with us today who met because of cancer. And I have had the privilege of watching them all evolve through a cancer journey in the past year. And they are so gracious to be our guests today. You know, I find people who do hard work fascinating. And I find people who do hard things fascinating. And these three have figured out in their lives how to treat and how to navigate cancer treatment with grace, in my opinion. Today, we have pediatric oncologist, Dr. Lauren Draper, her patient, Sophie Zursa, and Sophie's mama, Jessica, with us here today. So welcome, 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 all three of you. Thanks.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for taking time to to share a little bit about yourselves with us.
1: Okay. So we have some pointless warm-up questions for each of you. We're going to break the ice a little bit. Okay. You ready? David, chime in. I will. Okay. First question, Jimmy John's or Chick-fil-A?
0: I thought you said these were easy.
1: (laughs) Depends on the hour with her. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like you talk about Chick-fil-A more.
4: I know, but there's this, like, for like a month straight, every day I'd ask for Jimmy John's. A slim one. Mm -hmm.
3: I know, but if you look back over the scope of your life, I think Chick-fil-A is one.
4: How many times has my dad door dashed Chick-fil-A?
3: I mean, that's what I was going to doordash you the day of your surgery in case he couldn't leave to get it.
4: But Greenberg said Mm-mm, no eating before no. surgery.
1: Oh my word! This is not supposed to be this difficult. Okay, next question.
0: Emos or dominoes?
4: <laughs> dominoes. Emos. We had emos last night.
0: Change it up a little bit. Last question. Cardinal
1: Glennon snackers, grilled or fried? Fried. Fried.
4: I didn't eat. I didn't eat Cardinal Glennon food what (laughs) not even the snackers for real tater tots oh my gosh you ate the big potatoes i think the most i mean is
0: a pancake they're good pancakes though we have have a we you know that's one thing that like we hear a lot about cardinal glennon is our cafeteria we have a phenomenal cafeteria at cardinal glennon breakfast
4: Breakfast
1: is best Mm -hmm. my humble opinion the
4: breakfast is phenomenal the bacon there's this one time my dad was ordering me breakfast and he's like And also, she will take an omelet with extra jalapenos and extra hot sauce, and I'm like half asleep. I'm like, I just want a pancake. He's like, I know. I know you're just getting a pancake.
1: Okay, warm-up questions complete. Dr. Draper, we're gonna start with you, young lady. Okay, why oncology? I mean, of all the fields, that you could choose to go into electively? What inspired you to choose oncology? I always knew it was gonna be
3: kids. Um, and I was gonna do pediatrics, and I think that I love having a relationship with a patient. So that's what general, the part of general pediatrics that really appealed to me. But I also love taking care of kids that are really sick, and I like thinking about a problem that's really hard and to tackle that together. And pediatric oncology lets me do the both of that. I took care of Sophie when she was the sickest I've seen her. And also now I get to see her and we talk about school and we talk about favorite foods. And I have that relationship and know her and her family. So I get all of those things.
0: So I'm, I'm going to jump in here really quickly. So I, I, I'm not a medical person. I'm, I'm going to be very, very blatant in admitting that I do not have a medical background like Laura does or like you do, Dr. Draper. So I might just jump in to ask some questions around that. So like when you were going through medical school, was a lot of people or people might not realize that at a certain point, whenever you're going through medical school, you get to decide, like, where do I want to focus on here after that? Was there a certain point when you were going through your schooling where you're like, oh, I, I want to focus on kids. Like, was there a specific, like, a point or an instance or a feeling that you had where you're like, I, I, I want to go into pediatrics?
3: I had a little bit of a different experience. I wanted to be a garbage truck driver till I was five, and then I said I was going to be a doctor for kids in kindergarten and I never changed. I was sick a lot um, as a child actually treated here at Cardinal Glennon too. But um, a lot of people told me I wouldn't be able to do that. And then I was like, oh, well, that is dumb. So then I think that that steeled my commitment to saying, well, I'm going to stick with this. This is what I want to do. But when it became very real is Definitely in medical school, you have to make that choice for residency. And that first big choice is, are you going to do surgery? Or are you going to do medicine? Um, knowing I wasn't going to do anything in surgery, and then it was like adults or kids. And I mean, that I don't even see that as a choice. Adults complain. It's just not nearly as fun. They don't let you dress up on Halloween. All the sort of things
1: that come along with being in a pediatric hospital. So you figured out what you wanted to be when you grew up. You did it. And then you picked Cardinal Glennon. Why?
3: Uh, Lennon is kind of home. I grew up here in a lot of ways. Um, Some of my current colleagues were my doctors growing up. um, And I still get treated here too by some of the same doctors. Do you like the people you work with? Some days. No, <laughs> I do. I love our team. That is the other thing about pediatric oncology is it is a team sport. There is, um, it is a team sport from the patient side, the entire family. It's a team sport from the medical side. There is no way that we do what we do in, on an island.
0: You, you've been working at Cardinal Glennon in, in oncology for several years now. Are there? What are some of the advances that you have seen as the program has grown and developed over your time being at Cardinal Glennon?
3: A lot of it is being able to offer some of the newest therapies, um, including clinical trials. So I think that you know CAR-T therapy, being able to bring that here and offer that to our patients when it's applicable is spectacular. Being able to offer a lot of our clinical trials and being a member of the Children's Oncology Group, that means that our patients are going to have so many things that are offered to them when they come, but they're still going to get the close-knit community of Clinton. They don't have to be at a larger center where they may get lost in, in the
1: masses. So I know you kind of like Sophie. So tell, tell me, tell me, <laughs> tell me about Sophie's cancer. Sophie was diagnosed
3: with osteosarcoma, which is a tumor of the bone. Um, she can tell you how she presented. I'll let her, that's her story to tell. But um, she came to me um with a tumor in her arm. And when you have osteosarcoma, you know, the biggest thing, I think probably every single one of my patients in the top five questions that their families ask is, can't we just cut it out? And we used to do that. We used to just take out the tumor. And um, essentially all of those kids, it came back and it came back in their lungs. So we knew that you can't just cut it out. It means you have to give chemotherapy before to make the surgery easier and safer. And then you have to give chemotherapy after. Um, And you still need a really big surgery there in the middle. So that was the plan for Sophie. And she looks so disgusted by the plan (laughs)
1: because it's not an easy road for sure. We're going to hear more from Sophie, but Dr. Draper, when I say Sophie, what's the first word that comes to your mind? (laughs) <laughs> Unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sophie, it's your turn. I want you to tell me about life before cancer. Who was Sophie then, BC before cancer?
4: Um, she was just like a normal kid. Um, I ran around with my neighborhood friends went on bike rides. I participated in a lot of sports,, uh, summer swim, sand volleyball, soccer normal volleyball, track, like a uh, competitive cheer, you name it. I probably did it at least once. And that that was it. I, just school, sports, and friends.
1: And then diagnosis is a gut punch, right? And you meet Dr. Draper, who has the tough job of explaining the roadmap and all the medical lingo, which was foreign back then to both of you and all the ways that life is going to change and all of that jessica when i say dr draper what's the first word that comes to your mind oh man just one uh she's our
2: hero yeah
0: sophie disagrees (laughs) well i mean dr Draper, this has got to be um it's probably never easy. Whenever you, whenever you have to deliver news to a patient, to a family. I mean, I'm sure that there's there's a relationship and there's trust there as you're getting ready to go down this road with them. Um, what, what, is, what is your process? I mean, is it the same process or a different process that you're able to tailor every time based on the circumstances whenever you are uh, presenting a roadmap to a patient and their family about what their, um, what their future is going to look like, sometimes a shorter future, sometimes a much longer future? If you can kind of walk us through that path.
3: A little bit. Um, I think that the most difficult part of that talk is that there is no relationship before I walk into the room with the news that they are most scared of. And I have to do a lot of talking. Um, And they don't know me and I don't know them. You know, now I can walk in and they know what I'm going to say probably before I say it. Um, and I know how to tailor what I need to say for their family dynamics. Um, and you learn that about families over time, but I have to walk into a room and ask them to trust me with their child's life when they don't know anything that's going on and they can't hear anything that I'm saying after I say the word cancer. So, but I still have to get through the things that I have to say that day. Um, so I generally have. Um, And it kind of depends on the diagnosis and how long we have before we have to start. You know, leukemia diagnosis, I have to start really quickly. I have to start chemotherapy maybe even that same day. With sarcomas, I have a little bit more time, um, and there's a little bit more to do before we start. Um, And that changes the dynamic a little bit. Um, If I am on the days that I am really good at my job, I think the thing that I do is read the room the best. So there are um, you tailor your, your conversation for what the families need right then. And I try to leave with saying, you know, the, the top three things I need you to remember today are this is the diagnosis, this is what we're doing next, and my goal is to cure your child. And that's what, those are the things that they need to hear that first day. Um, but also I have to be really careful not to um, overpromise because there are no guarantees. So Sophie...
1: How did you first know, because this was a load thrown at you, right? How did you know, how'd you first know that you could trust her?
4: Um, I don't think I can remember that far back. Um, I think it was whenever I was like going in for my scans and like I saw her and then like The next day, like, or not even the next day, but like, she came in and like checked on me. There's like little things that she did at the beginning that just made it like so much better. And then, like, coming on a year ago from now, uh, I was sick in the hospital and she came into my room whenever I was asleep and wrote me a message on the whiteboard saying, Hey, Sophie, um, miss you. Like, I'll come talk to you whenever you're awake. And yeah, it's like little things like that that just kind of make your world that day.
1: Jessica same question how did you know what how did you first know that you could trust her
2: um i never didn't trust her i always i had to from the very beginning but as her relationship developed with sophie um for example we'd go into clinic for for labs and the two of them would end up talking and i was just kind of like hello i'm the mom over here what's going on and the two of them just developed a relationship of obviously patient and doctor, but then they became, became friendly and their relationship became more meaningful to Sophie to see her. And, um, I think the way that Sophie looks up to her is important to me as well.
1: You guys have shared a powerful and a difficult journey together. Is there some level of, I don't know what the word is. Is there some level of commitment clinically or emotionally because of that, that's different than, like what you share with close friends and family like Dr. Draper have you how have you seen Sophie and her family demonstrate commitment that is necessary for this journey right that is not necessary for families living with cancer
3: cancer changes everything and the people around you don't always get it they may want to help but um your team at the hospital becomes the people that get it, that have seen you at your worst, they have celebrated all the wins, they've been there when it's not been a good day. And you don't have to explain it. And I see that I see that with every family in some way. I've seen that with it's also abnormal for a teenager to have to rely on their parents the way that Sophie has when she's been really sick. That's when you're supposed to be separating and breaking free and forming your own identity. And how do you do that when also you have to ask them for help for everything when you're so sick? So it's a, um, it's not, there's no, there's no rule book. There's no way to do it other than to just keep swimming. And that's what you all have done.
1: So, Jessica, I want to talk about what I consider a Glennon Factor moment. I want you to tell me or tell us about the tumor funeral.
4: <laughs>
1: no, she doesn't get to because she didn't support it.
0: Yeah,
1: I want to hear about the tumor funeral and about the Straw Hat because Dr. Draper was at the core of both of those. So talk to me about Talk to me about, we'll start with the tumor funeral. Okay. So
2: I guess this would have to go back. It would have been a year in November when Sophie had her um, limb-saving surgery. Uh, she decided to, with the help of one of her night nurses, name her tumor. And she named her tumor.
4: Jeffrey. Jeffrey jeffrey the humor tumor jeffrey the humor tumor
0: was was jeffrey a particular name choice or just it sounded right
4: i was talking to my nurse and i like asked her why she was on oncology and pediatric and she was like well my sister had it and like we named hers frank and my mom was like going to get ice chips i'm like hmm, name my tumor jeffrey jeffrey it's the first name that popped in my mind i couldn't think of any other name jeffrey clearly his name Jess, how'd you how
3: do
2: you like this situation i mean i went with it but i was just like what is going on i you know you know, I I didn't really want to talk about the tumor. I didn't like the tumor. I didn't want the tumor to have a name. I wanted the tumor to go
1: away forever. These are one of those conversations that we just talked about that other families just <laughs> <they> <laughs> don't, don't get it. Don't yeah. get it. No.
2: No, she went to school and tried to talk about it and it didn't land well with her classmates <laughs> or her teachers at all. It freaked them out at
4: all. It's just, they're 13, 14 year old kids and I'm like, So anyway, there's this thing called a port and methotrexate and then a a person called an oncologist and I get like stabbed every Friday, which is why I'm not at school. Yeah, stabbing. Um, You know, and and most of them have known me since I was four.
0: So was this, was this funeral like your typical, like, oh, we're all going to go and meet or kind of what, what was the experience like?
2: We had veils. Well, we were nearing the end of her nine month of nine months of chemo. And so, Dr. Draper had presented the idea of doing some type of ringing the bell ceremony. And something that we learned um, on this journey is that ringing the bell does not mean you're cured from cancer. It just means that you have completed the task of the chemotherapy or whatever treatment you're going through. So, in talking with Sophie, um, she didn't want to just do a traditional walk down the hall and ring the bell and be done and go home. (laughs) <laughs> she she decided that she wanted to have a funeral
4: <clears throat> for Jeffrey. And me and Draper ended up talking and planning about it for like the next hour. Oh, you
2: know, r- more than an oh, hour. Every it was single weeks. visit. It was weeks of and talks. And I
3: think we were definitely egged on by the fact that Jessica was not all that excited about the tumor funeral to begin with
2: i didn't have the vision no i did not i mean i'm so glad that we stuck it out then
4: again we were saying oh let's have a red velvet cake in the shape of jeffrey so (laughs) no mom wants to hear that come (laughs) on i really think
3: though my favorite point which is this is the dark humor that happens in oncology is when Sophie comes and tells me that she told her grandparents about the funeral she was planning and they thought she had gotten bad news because they didn't understand it was for the tumor. I was like, oh, you need to be very clear (laughs) (laughs) that it is for the tumor we are planning this funeral.
4: Yeah, but so I remember the day, um, my two brothers were there, two out of the three, and then, you know, my brothers are just like meeting everybody for the first time. Because my brother, was one of them, is 17, and you have to be 18 to get into the cancer ward. And, you know, I get Ferguson, Hugie, Draper, all my nurses. I get some nurses from FaceTime that weren't there, that called in. Everybody's wearing veils. And I made them all, like, name tags.
0: Like, you, you came up with nicknames for everybody yes. on your care team. Do you remember any of them?
4: I remember all of them.
0: And they had significant meaning? All of them. Okay.
4: So um, I forgot what my original nickname for Draper, but she came up with the idea of executioner. So to, that her nickname was tumor executioner. My surgeon, I called him the butcher. He was not fond of that, but I think butcher for a surgeon is self-explanatory. Um, then we move on to my nurses, Jess, who we already mentioned. Uh, she is stabber number one. And then another nurse down in Costas, Tori, stabber number two. And then another one, Maddie. She used to be on Four North, but then transferred to the Costas Center. She stapper in training. Then um, Clayton. He's one of my favorites. Um, I named nicknamed him Potassium because whenever I had low potassium, he had to, you know, give me liquid potassium. God awful. I would not wish that on my worst enemy. Um uh, Caroline was my first love because she was like my first nurse that I remember. Um, then these then we had two on FaceTime, Cassie and Lisa. Um, Did you have a nickname for Cassie? Um, I don't know. Lisa was the pill lady. Lisa was the pill lady, because Lisa taught her... No, she forced me to take my pills. I would say
2: taught. She's gonna say force.
4: but different perspectives. There were other oncologists, because like, even though Draper is my oncologist, I still have a relationship with the other oncologist. They want to steal you from me. Oh, yeah.
1: Can I just say that interject that I love that you call her Draper? Like, I mean, yeah, I, just, I, I love I it. I just kind of drop the love doctor. Greenberg, yeah, Draper. Just drop the doctor.
2: We told her in the beginning, you have to address her as Dr. Draper. And we would tell her again and again when she comes in, it's Dr. Draper. And she never did. So it just, I'm sorry. I think at times it's been drape. Drape. It was drape.
4: It was drape for a while. The drape. Yes, I did get a the. I liked that. I kinda of like imagined it as like a Count Dracula, like the clouds and the lightning over Cardinal Glennon, and, and then like the old fashioned Count Dracula, the Draper. <laughs> but so then I mean um I probably had a relationship with Dr. Hughie the most. Um he's basically my second oncologist. You had a nickname for him. And we end up nicknaming him the Gentle Giant. And then um he's very tall. Ferguson. Yes, Ferguson um no what 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 was his nickname teddy roosevelt teddy, because yes yeah, sounds... well tell them tell them why he was teddy roosevelt so <laughs> you know whenever no so basically whenever like on um, the oncologist i like, come in and like do the, they do the rounds with the patient and my mom came in and she's like sophie dr ferguson he's like the head oncologist he's like a no-nonsense man like i don't are you making jokes i was like don't joke around with him be very serious don't tell him that you're and so, like, not I'm, feeling well, <laughs> I'm working on my homework for World War Two on propaganda. And he comes in and we're, we're joking. He like me and him just like instantly become best friends. Sorry, Draper. And um, he's and then like eventually he goes like, oh, you're working on your history homework? I'm like, yeah. And like that is blah, blah, blah. And he like shows me his tie that he has. on, And I'm like, oh, that's Teddy Roosevelt he with his mind was like you know teddy roosevelt yeah and then we just kind of talked history for the next couple minutes and then by the end we fist bumped and my mom was just like only
2: you i said only you is gonna make ferguson relax You're and like, chill what is happening right now for real so she called him well first of all i think you
4: got him in a veil yes, yes
3: we i got have a picture of
4: ferguson Hughie, greenberg i got them all in a veil and cancer card that's how I got them in. And you had name tags. Yes. I had the name tags. They had to wear a name tag, yeah. And I know some of
2: the nurses still have them on their badges. Yes. Mm-hmm. They saved them. They yeah. Saved the even guys. even the one that moved to Chicago. And I would like to say, I finally bought into to this yes. idea. Just okay. I I really yeah. did get on board because we talked to Brie and some of the life specialists or children life specialists. Oh Bree
0: and, Bri and uh, the art therapist. Yes, yes, okay. yes. yes, yes. Okay.
2: And then she kind of helped Sophie come up with ideas like, oh, maybe we can make you some veils and then staff can wear can wear veils and oh, maybe we can have candles. And we talked about like a day of the dead kind of thing and Dr. Draper wanted live candles and then it would have to be outside and we wouldn't be able to do it in the Costas Center. And finally, I just, I embraced it and I went to the store and I got name tags so she could name literally all of her providers <laughs> silly names but yeah. meaningful names i got snacks which i got snacks for the staff which were
4: um cupcakes that we gave medical names to like methotrexite um i like the chocolate c-diff ones those were special the
3: chocolate
2: cupcakes were c-diff the you red loved that red was Doxo. the red velvet red velvet was dox. so so i did embrace it i did get i did get into it yes we, it was not traditional by any sense, by any sense. Sophie gave a eulogy. Oh. We had um who printed out a picture of the tumor for you.
4: I don't know, but I know someone
2: Mar- got someone got yeah. a picture of the tumor for her.
4: And Martha gave
2: me a rose. Marsha did. Marsha, Marcia. Yes. Marcia. Oh, so we got I got Sophie a bla- uh, a brown box. And she put the picture of the tumor inside of the box and she basically made a coffin for the tumor. <laughs> uh dr greenberg's nurse Marsha, gave her a rose and so we all gathered around a table sophie had the box and the tumor candles cupcakes candles and cupcakes and she gave a eulogy there was a to the there tumor. Was music there was oh, and a
4: procession it was chopin's death march yes. i believe the music that was played my personal favorite part is we did this in Costas with other patients there. So like, we have the hallways lined up, we're all wearing veils, and I'm walking down holding the coffin, and I just see these patients and the parents staring at us. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm confused. and I just start laughing, and I just turn around, and I start, <laughs> and I'm looking at Draper and Greenberg, and they're like, Sophie, go! And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't hold it in. And we get to the room, I give my eulogy, and then ring the bell, and we do pin the needle on the port, which, if you don't know, a port is where you get your chemo. It's a surgery. It's a port hooked up to your jugular vein where you get your chemo. And blindfolded my nurses, spun them around. And I like to say Jess did do the best. That's so, why she's my So in mom. a
0: pinch, you want to make sure that Jess is the one who is putting the needle in the port.
3: Oh, Sophie is very particular.
4: Oof. My dad had to hold me down, had to take van. Well, it was a wonderful ceremony.
3: And I will say, I don't actually, like, I don't, I am happy for every family that gets to ring the bell in whatever form that is. But I generally do not participate. Um, There are some like just, you know, superstitions in medicine. And this is maybe the one that I participated in. I was... Big supporter of it. I really support families marking. I do th- I think that's most important is marking the end of the journey. Like you've done this task and you should celebrate that no matter what comes next. But um I'm a little superstitious about it. But I, I got on board with the tumor funeral. We embraced it.
2: Everybody embraced it. Mm-hmm. You try to get the ER
3: on it. I know they were so excited about it because they had
1: met her a few times she had come through. <laughs> <laughs> it was truly one of the largest processions and heavily attended marks of finishing treatment that I have ever witnessed, honestly. Okay. I want to hear about Straw Hat next. So I call it haystack. Really? Sophie loves it when I call it that.
4: (laughs) A lot of people, you know, typically do not like their school lunches. I absolutely adore mine. It's at my old school, uh, pre-K through eighth grade, I'd get doubles every day. I mean, I would try to steal the food from my friends. Like, it was so good. And I loved popcorn chicken, and straw hat was absolutely my favorite. It was basically Fritos and an unknown substance that taco they called meat. taco meat. And so is this
0: like a like a Frito pie? It's
4: kind of like a walking taco. Walking basically. taco, there's a million
0: different names for yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Straw hat. Straw funny. hat. Straw hat is what the school calls it.
4: Yeah. And um, in seventh grade, they changed it to every Thursday, but normally it's like every Friday. It's like one, it's probably in total five days out of the entire school year. And once like a, once it's like once a probably month. probably once a month. And um, not
2: enough. Not enough for so.
4: No. And since I would have to go to the hospital every single Friday, regardless if I was getting chemo, um, I missed out on my school lunch all the time. And so I would beg Draper, beg her, to let me go get a straw hat. And it just never worked out.
0: And they don't do straw hats at the cafeteria at Cardinal they Glennon. No. Did. We might no. need to put that in a suggestion did. box. We'll, we'll make a note of that.
4: Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just like, I can feel tears coming up just thinking about straw hat, because I'll never get it again, because I graduated from that school. And this one time, Draper comes in. Well, it was near the end of your treatment. Yes, near the end of my treatment, Draper comes in to my last straw hat ever, and she comes. Eat some of it no she came to your school you've yes. got to tell this story a little better <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to clarify this a little bit
2: you had talked about haystack slash straw hat so much that finally you broke her down and she's like i'm gonna come to now school to it and yeah it she's like, like i've got to know what this is so near the end of your treatment when you weren't coming in every friday and you had finished some of the yes. chemo's you weren't in the hospital as much towards the end and it was probably in april or May. And there was a Friday where you were going to be in school. And And the stars aligned. And the stars aligned. And she came to your school and had lunch with you. And in in my opinion,
4: I don't think she liked it.
3: No, I did. I did. I mean, I would say that I was expecting more. Just different. Um, I thought the way that you talked about it 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 was more of like a Michelin (laughs) star experience. And this was close. Half a star. Half Half a star. Basic. At least my new school has popcorn chicken. It's not nearly as good, but... No. Obviously. I mean, and nothing will beat Straw Hat. It was delicious. And so precious to see her in her environment. I just don't think that... Um, I mean, that's the goal is that our kids can still be a part of a community and have the support and like, you know, everybody knew. They're like, oh, Sophie's getting Straw Hat. They're like, you're her doctor. She, You get the double of the Straw Hat too. Like, it was
2: just... There was... It was very sweet. Dr. Draper went through the lunch line like it was a big deal. <laughs> she went through the lunch line with all the students. She sat at my lunch table with my friends. Yeah. Sat at the hat. table. It was almost like they were on a little date. It was really cute. I was. I have pictures, and Tom and I were like watching through the window. She met my
4: twin brother for the first time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What did you think of him?
2: Um,
3: I he was quieter than you, but then I thought that's probably the only way he could be. <laughs> most of the time he's not um I knew that I loved this family pretty quickly but I think it was maybe like two weeks in Jess was like come on to the hall with me and somebody (gasps) um I won't tell the whole story oh yeah you totally can yeah she's like so there's like this thing going on in school that they're worried about Sophie coming back and like using the bathrooms like is it they, and I thought they meant like that she wouldn't be safe. Like people were worried about her safety, like infections. No, they were worried about maybe like chemo. Like like she was going to spread chemo. Spread chemo at
2: the or school, catching cancer. For, yeah, it was, I think it was more chemo. Yeah, was more like, chemo, like poison the kids.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's my plot. They figured it out. <laughs>
0: Foiled again.
3: Jess was like, I don't want to tell her because you know it's a small school and you know we don't want her to know that any of this is going on. She's like, Do you think we can go kick their so I was like, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to go do. She was like, "Do you want me to go to the school? Yeah. Do you want me to go there?" And I was like, oh. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, let's go." Like, and then we got all the nurses involved, like yeah. everybody was like angry about this, and I was like, them. I'm going to like them. Like I'm there offended. was not no. like
4: I'm offended you guys didn't tell me. No, it was
3: too new. We no. had to protect you. You were fragile
2: yeah. then. Yeah. So wait, did you go? Me fragile? I have to know. No, I so did- I think I wrote a letter or something. She clarified for me cuz I was like This is new to me. I don't really know. Can my daughter spread chemo? Like, what the heck? And she was like, Absolutely not. This is no way. Do I need to go there? Do I need to do this? What do What do you need for me? And I was like, Well, we can, you know, (laughs) rumble in the hallways. But I was ready, not really, but yeah, no.
3: We 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 quashed that rebellion quickly. But I was like, Yep, they're they're keepers.
0: (laughs) So these are these are very very tailored experiences to who Sophie is as. As a patient, as an individual. Uh, Jessica, what these things that, like, that Cardinal Glennon and Dr. Draper took the time to know, you know, to know Sophie on that level for the tumor funeral, which is we, I think we all could agree is probably one of the most uncouth things we've ever heard of in, in a hospital. But how, how are these important? Like why do these things matter that she took that time to tailor that experience to Sophie's journey?
2: Well, as we kind of talked about earlier, um, your whole life changes. The hospital and everyone there becomes your new family. So to experience that, um, sorry, to experience that and watch Sophie have the experiences that she could um, somehow to make the best of it, of being here for nine months, for being in the hospital 20 to 25 days out of the month, um, to knowing the cafeteria staff, to knowing the front door security when you walk in, you know, um, you know, and she's my only daughter.
1: So I love the closeness of your relationship and Dr. Draper, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to not get too emotionally involved with your patients, right? Like how difficult is that to not get too emotionally involved with your patients or their parents? Or is that engagement and that closeness what fuels you? Um,
3: I, whenever I have, I'm unsure or I have to make a big decision about Sophie, I have a team that I run it by. Um, and that's the big best thing about Cardinal Glennon is that we have a team of really smart um, providers. And sometimes I have to make sure that I, you have to have a relationship with your patients. You cannot do this um, and not engage with them as human beings, but you also need to be able to bounce ideas and say like, strip this away from who it is, but um, am I making the best choice medically. And that's what we do in tumor board. That's what we do collectively when we round on our patients to make sure that that balance is there. But the thing is, is it allows me um, the most important thing that an oncologist can do is continue to make recommendations, because sometimes there's not the most obvious next choice, there may be choices um, to be made, and a family cannot be left to do that alone. Because I mean, that's not, that's not their skill set, but the way that I recommend things is based on what the family's priorities are and alignment with their goals. And if I don't know them as a family and know what their goals are and know what's most important, then my recommendations are somewhat meaningless. They aren't tied to a person. So you, ha- you have to form a relationship and not everybody are you going to be as close with, um, but you have to earn that trust and constantly earn it. And, um, some you connect with on a different level. And,
1: but then you have your team to make sure that you don't get blinded by that. How do you take care of you? How do you fill up your cup? Who's Dr. Draper, (laughs) non-doctor? Rarely still. So I've got four kids
3: too. So they um, keep me busy and grounded and um, that. And then I um, usually like to move my body. I swim, bike, and run. And they've been involved with some of the races <laughs> over the last year and cheered me on and excited for that. But um, you know, really, you do it also by coming to work. Is that um, you come to work with a team, you see your patients, and then you go home and you know that on my absolute worst day of work, it is nothing like the worst day that my patients had. So I have perspective and you find joy where you can and you you find sorrow where it is and you just, you have to do that.
4: So you two, where's treatment at now? Where are we at? Um, I take a chemo pill every day because they found cancer in my lungs. So they did a surgery to remove it. And now we're doing the chemo pill as a precaution to make sure that if something was left behind or if something grows again, it doesn't.
1: So how often are you landing at Cardinal Glennon?
4: About every month, once a month, because you have to get your port yeah. flushed. Yeah, six to eight weeks-ish, which is a nice little break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have every Friday.
1: Jessica, what is Cardinal Glennon to you?
2: Well, it's kind of my new home away from home. Um, It's everything, really. Um, In August of 2022, um, when our lives changed, they were there for us in good times and in bad. As Dr. Draper said, there's good days and there's wins and there's there's days where you don't win. Um, But... I think back to our time, and when I say that we were basically living at the hospital for nine months, we really we really were. I walked around the hospital in my pajamas. I would walk around in my slippers, and I had no problems with it. I knew the ebbs and flows when it was gonna be crowded and when it wasn't <laughs> waited for the mushroom soup to be served in the cafeteria uh, did my laundry upstairs at the Ronald McDonald on the Ronald McDonald floor um, and we still talk to nurses nurses that are no longer um at the hospital we talk to nurses that are on night shift that we don't get to see when we come in for clinic um we've developed meaningful relationships people that i never knew existed in this whole wonderful world of all the amazing people that work here um and they you know over the over the past year sophie's gotten to do some cool things amongst her not so awesome diagnosis so I'm thankful for that also. How have
1: you changed personally as a mom, as a human, as a woman? How has cancer changed you? Well,
2: I was a busy mom. I was working full time as a middle school reading specialist. And as soon as she got diagnosed, I learned none of that was important. And my priorities changed. Um, my perspective changed. I'm a little calmer, not when it comes to her, (laughs) no. (laughs) I hope her
3: face could be captured on this podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not when it comes to her, but just, you know, I... I'm not going to say I was drama, but I'm just saying things don't bother me as much as they used to because things are just put in perspective. And I'm more about like taking the trip, doing the experience, let's go do this. I'm more the six of us, you know, the four kids and Tom and I more focused on the six of us doing things. And um, it definitely grounded me and humbled me because I was not experienced (laughs) had not had any experience with um, with really sick kids or cancer in general. So, um, yeah, I want to say how you've changed. Oh God. <laughs> I
3: have watched you grow, um, into somebody that into, from the moment I met you, you can see the loving mother and knowing that your whole life is your children, um, in the, in a good way, not in like a scary controlling way, (laughs) in a way that you've dedicated your life to them and your family, and went from not being able to engage with some of the really scary hard things. And to be able to be on a podcast today and talk about this is so much. I mean, you've embraced what you've had to, and have done it with grace and love and just patience. And it is, it's truly impressive.
4: Well, thank you very much. How have I changed?
3: Oh, my goodness, I've grown into a I was teenager. Gonna, I was
4: gonna say, <laughs> uh,
1: you answer that first, Sophie. How do you feel like you have changed from all of this?
4: Um, I don't know how much because I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm definitely more mature. Um, like my mom said that like. The drama that can, like, happen in, like, friend groups and stuff, it's, like, a a lot of the times I think it's stupid. Like, your Mac is belly-chained, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's so unimportant. Um, And, like, that sort of stuff. But, like, I don't think I've fully changed a whole lot. I just think I'm more mature than kids my age now. I I still think, I, I don't feel, like, me before I was diagnosed as any different of a person than I am now. I
1: think I was going to say, you can go ahead and comment on that.
3: (laughs) Um, You know, I think that going through a cancer diagnosis, you don't know because it it knocks you off your trajectory. Like you don't see how you've changed because you don't know where you would have been without it. Um, Yes, you I mean, obviously, you've matured just because it's been time and that's what you would do. But you approach life in a much different fashion and you will forever. You'll never not be changed by this. And I have seen you been able to approach everything with humor. I mean, from day one, I think that has been what has gotten Sophie through. Sometimes almost to the point where I worry. I'm like, did you hear what I said? <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe you're not understanding. But her approach to life, but being able to do that with humor and grace, but not with kind of that underlying almost pettiness that sometimes comes with being a teenager that has just all on away.
4: My my humor is a 10 out of 10. You got to yeah. be honest. I mean, I turn it up to 11. Even sure. if you don't like my jokes, you still got to admit it's pretty funny. But I'll, <laughs> I'll, going along with that with when Sophie
2: had her surgery um to remove the tumor, you know, she lost the majority of the function in her left arm. She really, you know, she has her left arm but she cannot use it um you know, for day-to-day major activities. She's lost the ability to play sports. Um, She can't really carry her school backpack anymore. She can't carry anything over 15 pounds on her left arm. And so for her to say that her life really hasn't changed or that she hasn't changed kind of blows me away because her life has completely changed. Um, She's never once, never once complained or... You really have never cried or broken down i mean maybe
4: once right when she first got diagnosed well, or that's because whenever he came in it was so mysterious Whoa. and then
2: um
0: is this he is this he dr greenberg no. no
2: this was dr medler when we when she when i took her for the initial x-ray before we had any idea it was cancer and she cried a little bit in the car that day and then the second time i cried is whenever greenberg told me i wouldn't be able to play sports again and that's that it was pretty bad for nine months blown. yeah for nine months of chemo night she missed entire eighth grade year. she missed you know you've lost friends now you've gained new ones but you know she never did what was me not once she handled every day with, okay, if this is what I have to do, okay, I have to do this. And now my life is like this. So I think you've changed, not just, I mean, like mature, yes, but like mature, the umbrella of that is beyond because you have never let it stop you, um, you know, from losing your humor.
4: Yeah, For me, cancer was never like scary. I wasn't, ever, I didn't ever think I was going to die. Like I was not ever concerned about like something like that. But whenever my surgeon told me I would not be able to play sports again, like.
2: Yeah, that was tough. That yeah, was tough that day. was that was mm-mm. That's a tough day. Now, we can do other things. I've said I'd run 5Ks with you. Like OK, you but running. I want to play volleyball or
3: soccer. Well, Remember I told you you could swim with me. I think that's maybe why Sophie and I have a good connection, too. I have a fake shoulder, um, and I have a port. So sometimes when she would complain about stabbing in her port, I would say that she could access mine. She never took me up on it. No.
4: I would always, like, try to pull the cancer card. Like She has one printed. Yes.
0: The cancer Please card. Please tell <laughs> us about this cancer card, because I got to see it one time, and it it was... Yeah. What?
4: <laughs> I took... Like an old, like Edison's or like Edge card. An, an old gift card. Yeah. A
2: bath and, and body. Then, yeah. Mm-hmm. From the semi-annual and sale.
4: I glued an index card to it, and then I cut around it, colored it, and I wrote cancer card on it. And now if it's like, I want Chick-fil-A, and my mom's like, no, Sophie, we just had Chick-fil-A yesterday. Boom. Cancer card.
0: You, you pull the cancer card literally. Yeah.
4: Yes.
3: We were going to take it away from her, but then we've got the oral chemo now. I I mean,
4: arm card, lung card, heart card, like kidney
3: card. I mean, you really could pull all the cards. And she does it appropriately. I think that's how it's changed her. She has rolled with the punches um, in a way that most teenagers wouldn't um, and finds a way to figure out how to do
1: today. So speaking of that, Sophie... What words of encouragement would you give other teenagers who are faced with a cancer diagnosis? So you're just meeting someone, they're just getting their news. What words of encouragement would you give them?
4: Find whatever you need, like whatever you need to move past it, find that and stick to it. Because like what I needed was humor. But like making cancer jokes, not a lot of people think that's okay. So like whenever I'd make jokes, people would tell me not to do that. But like, that's how I needed to cope. And so for then, like for months, I just kind of kept it all in, didn't talk about it. Didn't. But like, so you just need to find whatever will help you heal. If it's crying for a week straight for just screaming, if it's, you know, becoming like super religious or humor, like whatever you need, try to do it because there's no rules in cancer. There's no playing fair. So.
1: Amen. I love that. Okay, Jessica, same question to you. What words of encouragement would you give other parents who are faced with a cancer diagnosis?
2: Well, initially, my thought would be to say one day at a time, but mostly it's not. It's every one hour at a time. Sometimes it's 15 minutes at a time, depending on if it's your initial diagnosis or, you know, if they're sick from low counts. Um, Find your support system and um, really rely on that and get some sleep. <laughs> that was one thing I couldn't do in the probably the first month was sleep. But um, eventually you will get into a routine and one day at a time, one hour at a time probably is the biggest advice. Dr. Draper,
1: what's a good day in oncology? What makes you go home feeling full and that it was a good day?
3: Um, The days that um, really, I really love when I see patients that are further past the middle of it, even on days in the middle of going through it and they have good scans or things are good, I'm still anxious and worried. So when we are a, f- a little further out and they're at school and, you know, we're changing schedules up because they got finals or they've got vacations, you know, those are the days that I love. Um, Sophie doesn't like finals. Um, but I
0: don't think anybody likes finals.
3: I love hearing about those things. Those are really good days. Um, but I think really the days that I feel very fulfilled are when I have a. Um, some sort of meaningful conversation and feel like I know my family's a little bit better um, and can meet them where they are at that day, wherever that point is. And that happens, you know, really, it's funny, as a teaching institution, we have residents, we have med students, and they're always like, well, we want to be there for, you know, the crucial conversations, we want to see how you talk about it. Like, but they're often not planned. It's like when you go in and you don't even know that it's going to happen and something clicks and you have, you know, Sophie comes out with, hey, what about this? Or has, you know, in the middle of telling jokes, ask a really key, important question. You, you didn't know it was going to happen, but you have to be prepared for it. In a lot of ways, it's like parenting. It's like you're driving home from school and you think you're going to talk about the day. And then they ask you about something. You're like, oh, this is a real thing. Um, and that happens the same day, same way with your patients. And those are the days that feel very good when you're able to have those conversations and connect with them.
1: Well, you guys, you guys are... Glennon Factor and that's exactly why we wanted you here today to share all of this because this is what people don't see right you know um, we're a lot more than diagnoses and medications and IVs and all that kind of stuff there's a lot of relationships and a lot of special things going on and um, you guys are a hallmark of that to say the least so thanks thanks for having us thank you
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Glennon Factor. Make sure you follow The Glennon Factor and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Visit glennon.org if you would like to learn more about how you can support Cardinal Glennon kids. And while you're there, feel free to share any feedback or episode suggestions on our podcast page. The Glennon Factor is recorded and produced by SSM Health Cardinal Glennon Children's Foundation. <laughs>
1: take a chance Andy i'm still free
0: take a chance take a
1: chance on me take a chance (laughs) i need a cough drop (laughs) oh i'm all
0: out (laughs) so aaron where would you like (laughs) us to start